morning, Connection Point Church. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, I mean, half the church is on vacation, the rest of y'all are asleep. Come on now. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Are y'all excited to be here? That does not suck. I'm glad, because we're, what we're talking about today, y'all need to hear, okay? Um, first of all, I just want to say, we do have uh, a lot of people on vacation, and uh, it was... I had an interesting conversation with Joey, our worship pastor, a couple of weeks ago because he was going to be out, his wife was going to be out on vacation, and then also, uh, usually when that happens, we, uh, Courtney Collins uh, leads us in worship, and so Phil and Courtney are out, and so uh, I had a lot of people, and Joey even was like, you know, we got to figure this out, and it's just so exciting that you can come here, and we don't even have, I'm not even going to say uh, first string, second string, we don't have strings here, we've just got a whole bunch of talented people, and so I really think that Matt, that was his first time leading us in worship. My wife did a great job. Uh, Taylor did a great job in the band. That was just a, uh, it's pretty exciting to know that uh, we've got deep, deep benches here. So y'all, uh, make sure when y'all, before y'all leave, uh, just let them know that was, that, was, that was a really good job. I thought they did a very good job of leading us uh, in worship this morning. Now, um, over the past few uh, weeks, we've been preparing for this season of our church, um, knowing that in August is usually when our minds are kind of getting back, uh, if you've got kids, your minds are, are getting into, uh, things are going to get back to normal sometimes. It's usually about August when if you're a parent, you're like, oh, I can't wait for them. I love my kids, but I can't wait for the school season to start. If you're a kid, you kind of get to this point where, you're, you know, if you're a student, you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I love my family, but I'm ready to see some of my friends. I'm ready to, to get back into my routine. And so as this Month came, we knew for us this is an unusual season for us, and that we are about to make a, a major move where we're moving our entire church to the city of Wiley and we're moving um, out of this location. And so, uh, one of the things God put on my heart as we made this move is that we really need to be clear about who we are as we make this move, as we go into a, a new community, as we're going to meet new faces, we need to know why another church in a new community is needed. Because I'll tell you, this week I got several, uh, I sent an email out a few weeks ago to some of the pastors in Wiley and let them know, hey, we just want to let you know we're um, coming to the area. And I, I knew a lot of the pastors and they sent me back. I, I got some invites to lunch and, you know, hey, I want to talk and just see how we can uh, really partner with you and how we can set you guys up for success. We, we really are excited that you guys are coming. Uh, and so it really made me think, you know what, as we go into anywhere uh, in Texas, you're going to find churches, but especially as we move locations, it's very important that we know why, if somebody asks, why does Wiley need another church? Why does this area need a, a, a church um, period? If you, It's really easy to say, we've got enough churches, why do we need this? But one of the things that I'm very convicted about is that the world needs more authentic, life-changing churches. The world needs more authentic, life-changing churches. And, and I say that because the message of Christianity has been hijacked, in my opinion. Uh, I saw an interview in which all the interviewer did was uh, go around on the streets, one of those man-on-the-street um, interviews, and just ask, hey, what do you think about Christianity? In one word, can you sum up Christianity? And the words that were given were self-righteous, judgmental, uh, and, and there were just a whole bunch of hate-filled uh, 
um, words, or I would say um, angry almost words. Uh, and then some of them were uh, Republican was one of them. Uh, and there were just a lot of things that I, I hope that's not the first thing that comes to mind when we think about Christianity. I would hope Jesus would be the first thing personally, but it show, goes to show you that our message is being hijacked. It's being muddied, that, that what it means to follow Christ is being muddy. And so a, a lot of what we need to understand is there are a lot of great churches in Wiley and a lot of great churches around the state and around the world, but understand that the main, uh, the, the main people who are muddying the message are coming from within the church. The church, the, the message of Christianity is being muddied from within, and by the time it gets without, it, it's not even uh, visible anymore. It's not, it doesn't even resemble what Christianity should look like. Um, there was a, uh, um, one of the first memes that I can remember, and when I say meme, I don't mean a computer meme. I mean, going back to the 80s, memes, old school memes were analog. You had to, uh, you would see a commercial, you would see something, and then you'd just repeat the phrase to your friend, okay? That's what a meme used to be. You couldn't just Instagram it to somebody. So there was a commercial, and if you're over 40, you've heard this commercial. If you're under 40, you're just going to look at me like you always look at me. Um, Like, what is he talking about? There's a commercial, and it was uh, in the mid-'80s, and, and it would have a, uh, a TV a doctor would say, I'm not a doctor, but I, oh, my gosh, I thought y'all were here. Somebody say it out loud. But I play one on TV. And then after that, what he would do would give you medical advice for Vix, uh, 44, you know, uh, vapor rub or whatever it was. But it was a, basically the doctor would say, hey, or the guy would say, I, I'm not a doctor. I play one on TV, but let me give you some doctor advice. Okay, let me tell you what a doctor, uh, what, what you should do. Um, here's some medical advice. And, and as, I, uh, as I was thinking about how muddied our message is in the church right now, um, I, I can't help but think of that commercial because Our message is being given by people who could say, hey, I'm not a Christian, but I play one on Sunday morning. Or I'm not a Christian, but I pretend to be one at work. You know, I'm not a Christian, but when I go to school, I say I'm one. And the danger in this is is many, but for us, as we consider the fact that God has, has really called us to be a church that I hope is different and is not contributing to this problem. I hope that our message is so clear on who we are that we decided before we make this move, we want to have a series in which we just talk about the message of our church. And so uh, just to kind of rehash for you, it's called Together We Win. And basically the idea being that together we want to be united in our message and know what we as a church believe so that we can successfully proclaim a clear gospel when we get to the city of Wiley, but also all over the world, it's in our, in our lives that we can live this out. And so I spent the first two weeks talking about our mission, okay? And, and if you weren't here, if you're new, then I want you to, to, to go back and watch those on the podcast and know we, we want to be very clear on our mission. We exist to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And we've actually spent some time telling you, hey, this is what it means to be where God wants you to be. And so we spent two weeks looking at that. And then we said, you know what? 
We don't just want to, to have a clear mission. We want people to know why a, a, a true church, why an authentic church looks different than what many people think of when they think of church. When people think of church, often they think of the, the exact opposite of what we want people to feel. So last week, um, we started going through our priorities, and we're going to go for the next uh, few weeks, we're going to lay out four priorities in our church. And these priorities, we hope, are so clear that when you say them at work or at school or to someone, it will, it will almost make them step back, somebody step back and say, well, that seems different than what I think about churches. And so last week, our first priority was that we will prioritize relationships over religion. We prioritize relationships over religion because most people, when they think of going to church, they think of checking off boxes, that we're going to go and, hey, I went to church this week. Hey, I prayed this week. Hey, I and we think of, when we talk about religion, we think of just things that I got to get done. And so we said, that's never where we want to be as a church. We want to always be a church that prioritizes relationships. Remember, the way that God himself has saved us was through a relationship, not through just checking off boxes of, hey, I did this and I did that. And so today, the priority I want to give to you, to me, is, is second only to that priority of relationships. Because this one uh, to, is so important that if we get it wrong, there are lives at stake. The, the priority I want to talk about today is this, that we prioritize authentic over artificial. Authentic over artificial. Because when we look at the church today, and many of you have been in churches where, or you've, maybe you've been in a youth group um, growing up, and, and the person that you saw on Sunday never looked like the person you would see during the week. Maybe some of us even were that person growing up. Where we would go, and church was something that we pretended to do on Sunday. We pretended that we were close to God. On the way to church, you're yelling with your family. This never happens, I know, in here. And you're yelling, and your elbow and get straight, and you're, you're improving your kids and whatever you're doing. And then you get there, and you're like, hey, when we walk in there, better be smiling. You better be get your act together. And then we walk in church, and, and we pretend as if, hey, we've got everything together. And so you come into church, you get your kids, and they can't wait to get where they're going, and everyone wants to go. And, and, and you know in your heart, you know what, we don't have it all together. But then you begin to look around, and you begin to see that every single other person, they're also pretending. They're also putting on this show. And you begin to, to think in your mind, you know what? This is not a place where I'm ever going, I'm never going to be as, as good or look like these people. Well, Jesus encountered a very similar attitude when he was teaching. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 today, and we're going to uh, look at what theologians, uh, in fact, even in, if you've got a Bible with you, it uh, is sometimes called the seven woes. And anytime I hear that word woe, I think of what everyone thinks of, right? Of Joey Lawrence in the 80s when he would say, whoa. Anyone? No? Okay. Again, you got to be over 40 to get my jokes this morning. But, uh, but I can't say that word. So if I say whoa like four times today, that's why it was, it's, it's a dated 80s reference. 
So Jesus basically is going to have seven critiques. We're only going to look at one of them for the sake of time today. But seven critiques of what an artificial church, artificial religion looks like. And this was a big deal to him. It starts off, it says, um, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. So this is kind of the intro, and what he's saying is this. First of all, I'll give you a little uh, background on to who he's talking to. He's talking, there are a lot of people around him and his disciples. He's talking about um, two groups, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, the scribes were um, scholars. They, they weren't just writing. They were studying. They were um, professionally, that's what they did. They, they were they were very learned people, they were very smart people, and they knew the scriptures, they were writing them all day, they could comment on the scriptures, they, they, they were very uh, into uh, the word of God and, and, and writing it and knowing it, okay? But they would also teach sometimes in the synagogues and, and around the temple as well. And so, you've got the scribes, and then you've got the Pharisees, and when you think of the Pharisees, the Pharisees get kind of a bad rap sometimes because... Uh, Jesus was always yelling at Pharisees. But the Pharisees, if you think about Pharisees, it's kind of like um, Christianity of today. Judaism had uh, several different uh, sects, so to speak. There was uh, uh, some smaller ones, like one called the Essenes. That was a small sect, and they had certain beliefs, theological beliefs. But you had two main uh, sects of Judaism. You had the Sadducees, and you had the Pharisees. And they they were just kind of like denominations, the way that we might think of Catholics and Protestants, or you might think of Baptists and Methodists. And the reason that I want you to understand this is because when you're talking about Pharisees, or when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, it's real easy to lump everybody together and say they're all bad, but that's not how you should look at this. Most of them were businessmen or maybe a, a mother that was just trying to raise her kids up. Uh, it could, you know, kids that were, were going and learning the scriptures, and they were sincere in their faith and pursuit of God. Many of the, the Pharisees were, would get up, and they were trying to, to, to be godly. They were trying to know God. They were trying to follow God. But when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's mainly talking to the leaders and the teachers. In fact, he specifically says, you sit on Moses' seat. And what he means by that is, you're sitting on the authority of Moses. In other words, when you're teaching, you're teaching the scriptures, and you're teaching with this authority. Uh, And so people that are following you need to know, because these teachers are, are preaching from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, they're preaching from the Word of God, you need to know what they're saying because they have studied, they have done this. But he's very, he's very quick to point out, but what they're teaching you is somewhat artificial. It's somewhat fake. In other words, it's true what they're saying, but they're not actually doing what they're saying. They're not practicing what they preach. It's not, in other words, authentic. And he's going to kind of uh, expound on that. So he's going to give us his first critique kind of, of artificial religion. In verse uh, 4, he says this. They, meaning the leaders, the Pharisees who are leaders, and by the way, if I haven't already said this, Jesus probably was a Pharisee from in his school of thought uh, and brought up in that line. So he, he thinks a lot like them, okay? And he knows a lot of Pharisees. But when he's talking to the Pharisees in this one, he's talking to the leaders, he's talking to the teachers who are guiding the other people who are just going to church trying to find God. And he says... Beware of them because they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, 
and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. So if, if you think about your shoulders, if you've ever uh, tried to work out, you can squat, you put a squat bar and you can squat a lot more. You can bear a lot more on your shoulders than you could curl with your little finger if you tried to do finger curls, which I don't know why you would. But if you tried, I'm guessing you could do more with your shoulders. And so he makes this, this kind of humorous point that these people, when they teach, what the Pharisees would do is they would not only teach the Word of God, but then they would give you a whole bunch of rules to make sure you never even got near breaking the Word of God. Because if it says, uh, do not work on the Sabbath, they would tell you how many steps you could take on the Sabbath just to make sure you didn't accidentally do some work. Okay, So they would pile rule upon rule upon rule to make sure that you were following the Bible, following God's Word. And so Jesus has a critique. He says, they're giving you all these rules, and what happens is people come in and they hear all of these rules, and they walk out of the church feeling more guilt, feeling more shame than when they walked in. And if you, many of us have had, maybe have had that experience where you come into church and you already feel like, man, I'm so far from God. I've screwed up so many times. I've been stuck in sin all this week, or I've done, I, sh- I can't believe I said that this week, and I'm just, I feel guilt. Anytime you encounter God, though, Anytime you encounter Christ in a church or the Spirit of God in a church, you should never leave with more of a burden. Christ, in fact, had the opposite message. He says, uh, he says my burden is light, is what Jesus says. He said, anytime you encounter, you should feel your burdens taken off. And so Jesus is saying to them, look, they're, they're more than willing to tell you where you're wrong. They're more than willing to judge you. They're more than willing to, to tell you how you're not good enough but they're not doing anything to remove the burdens. They're not doing anything to help you overcome the burdens. And, and, and his main critique of them is that they're living a life as if they have never been changed themselves. This is the artificial part. You see, I hope that you never come into this church and walk away saying, man, I could never be like Joel. He's just too perfect. He's just now, hopefully you come in and think, man, Joel is is better than he used to be. And you see that that God is changing my life. But I hope that you always know I struggle with sins. I struggle with with heart issues just like everyone else. And and the reason that I get up here and proclaim is because I have a freedom that that God has forgiven me. And I walk every day of knowing that I'm a child of God, knowing that despite my failures, despite the fact that I'm not good enough, that Jesus Christ has saved me. And it's so great to walk out of here knowing that I'm a child of God knowing that because I've trusted God to do what I couldn't, that my burdens have been taken off of me. You see, they were living and teaching as if their lives had never been changed, as if they had never been forgiven. Why would they forgive you? They, they They didn't need forgiveness. Why would they, why would they get down in your mess when they had no messes? And so it's, it's not that they broke one, one law that, that irked Jesus. What irks him is this idea that they're, they're living and it has nothing to do with the relationships of the people. It has simply to do, this is about themselves. The religion is about themselves. So he has this critique that this is an artificial church environment. And so the next thing in Matthew 5, he says this, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. 
No. Maybe you don't know what a phylactery is. Uh, John Williams and I, um, the, in January, we went to Israel, and we had the, the opportunity to go to the Western Wall. And so I tried to take pictures of John uh, quite a bit where he wasn't. Uh, and so we're going to show you a picture right now. Uh, I tried to snap pictures of John when he's not aware, because I found that you know amusing for me. Maybe not for you. But we were at the Western Wall, and I took this picture. And uh, the Western Wall is the closest place you can get to where the temple once stood. Now, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So at the time Jesus is talking here, the temple still exists, okay? But in about 30 or 40 years, the temple is going to be destroyed. And, and on top of that wall right there, that's the Western Wall. On top of that wall, the temple used to be. And so Jews, for the last 2,000 years will come to that wall, they'll stick prayers in that wall, and they'll pray at that wall knowing that that's as close as they can get to where the temple once stood. And so go to the next picture. Um, here's a picture of some Jewish men, and what they have on them are phylacteries. This is wrapped around their, their arms. This man, you can see, has a box that's tied to his, uh, his wrist and then on his forehead. And what this, uh, what this is about is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, it says, bind it on your forehead and bind it on your wrist, okay? And so they took this literally. By the way, it wasn't meant to be literal. It was meant to say, hey, put this on your body. This is a kind of a metaphor of you need to have this on your forehead. Um, what, what I'm telling you, love the Lord your God is what they, God said in Deuteronomy 6. Put this on your forehead. So, so what they, they have done in this picture is they've taken the phylacteries and they've tied this box to their wrist and to their head. And in those boxes, it literally has written out the scriptures, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And so it's got that, I mean, physically on there. And, and one of the interesting things when you go to the Western Wall is that you'll, you'll see some places, now everyone's uh, able to go up and um, you're able to go put your prayers in, you're able to pray at the Western Wall, everyone's invited, but there are certain places where you will feel out of place. In fact, there are some people that will be so into their prayers and they're rocking, they're putting their whole body into their prayers and some of them are weeping at the, at, at the wall and, and some of them, like I said, are no doubt sincere and, and are there with their prayer requests, but you can't help but see some of Jesus' critique of knowing that there are some people who have long fringes and there are some people who are, have, have got dressed to the nines so that they could go and make a show of how, how humble, how they were going to pray this way. And they, they'll make their phylacteries long. In other words, they'll make sure you know they've got God's word bound on, on their wrists and on their heads. And, and they'll, they'll make a show of it. And Jesus says, when you are trying to play pretend religion and you'll, you'll write the, the scripture on, but you're not living it out, he says, that's an artificial faith. And so he goes on and he says, they love the place of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogue. I got another picture I want you to see. Um, this is a picture in a synagogue. A synagogue, by the way, is just a church. When you hear that word, you can think church, okay? It's a Jewish uh, gathering place. And in fact, the early church, early Christian church, simply met in synagogues. And it was a U-shaped building, horseshoe-shaped uh, building usually. And the teacher would stand just like in this, um, this is Moshe. He was our teacher on this trip. And he would, he would sit around and teach. But the best seats, usually the ones closest to the teachers, that's where the, the good church people would sit. By the way, it's kind of fitting that uh, our front row right here, I've scared off today. So uh, 
the, everybody knows in, 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 in churches nowadays, the back seats are usually considered, right? Um, but it's interesting that Jesus says this, and, and, and he has this critique of all of the people who are leading the church and leading the, the, uh, this religion, all of them are all about themselves. They want the best seats. They, they want to tell you, and they want to be called rabbi. They want all these things. But they're not actually doing anything to help the people who need to hear the word of God, who need to understand the word of God. It is an artificial faith. And here's what I want you to see is in verse 13, Jesus gives why this is such a big deal. Why it's so, so important that churches be authentic. Because if they're not, and we're going to read uh, verse 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then it says hypocrites. This word hypocrites means actor, someone who plays pretends, pretender. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. And it says, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Understand, when you come to church and you pretend as if your life is all together, and you pretend as if you haven't sinned in uh, who knows how long. And you pretend as if you haven't dealt with any anger issues, any jealousy, anything all your life. You are so clean. Understand that it's not just you who are in danger of missing the kingdom of God. But there are people looking at you. And you're pretending and you're putting on a, an artificial religion in which people are going to look and say, you know what? I could never be that. Or maybe they're going to look and see and you say, you know what, if that's what it means, i got to go and pretend and I know that it's not like that at home. If that's what it's going to be like, I don't even want to be it. And you're shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. There's a lot at stake when we simply try to be pretty. When we simply try to, to look as if we've got our lives together and that we don't really need help. We're just here, you know, for, for the, the fun of it. There's a lot at stake, and it's not just our souls. It's not just our lives. It's the people who we are called to, to bless and to reach. It's the people that right now are crying out, God, I just need something. And then if they come in and they, they see us pretending and they leave, there's a danger that we have actively shut the door on them finding the kingdom of God. I want to show you just one one of the woes that uh, Jesus uh, attacks. Now, there were seven of them, okay? There were seven, and for time, I, I'm not going to go into all of them. But the sixth one is in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, he, would say, he said this before all of them. He would say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then he would remind them, you're hypocrites, you're pretending. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. You outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. It says when you come to church and you put on this, I've got everything together, I'm perfect. It says what's really happening is you're pretending. You are fake. And not only are you fake, that inside you're dying. You have death inside of you. 
And it's the same when you come to church and try to act like you've got it all together. It's the same as if you go to a tomb that is full of death and just try to make it look pretty. And understand when, uh, when he's teaching, he's probably somewhere near the Kidron Valley. And, and the reason is, is because he references in the next verse, which I'm not going to teach on, um, but, but he references Zechariah's tomb. I got a picture of Zechariah's tomb. I was able to see this tomb. It was, uh, when you walk in the Kidron Valley, you'll see that there are uh, these big tombs. Uh, Absalom from the Old Testament, one of David's sons, he has a tomb there. This is the prophet Zechariah. In fact, Jesus is actually going to talk about this tomb uh, later on in this, uh, I think in the next verses. He's going to point out that, hey, you made Zechariah's tomb real nice, but by the way, you're the one that killed Zechariah. And so you, you killed him because you didn't like the words, but then you build him a real nice tomb. That's kind of what artificial religion does. But he says, imagine looking at these tombs and thinking that, man, aren't these beautiful places to be? And you scrub the outside of the tomb. And you build this real ornate and you whitewash it so it's so beautiful. But knowing inside it is full of death. He says, that's what it's like when you play pretend at church. That's what it's like when you, as leaders, and understand all of us, and you know this if you've been in this church at, uh, for a, a week or two, you'll figure it out real quick. All of us in this church are leaders. All of us go out and we're, we're called to lead someone to Christ. So whether we are volunteering in the sound booth in the back or we're volunteering in the kids area or whatever we're doing, we're leaders in this church. And he says, when you come and you pretend, understand that you are like a whitewash tomb. So, how do we, uh, and by, I'll finish the verse real quick. It says, so you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So the question is, how do we prioritize authentic over artificial? In this church, what does it mean? How do we actually live out this, this, this priority? How do we show people that this is more important to us to be an authentic church rather than just pretending church? And I will tell you, that um, this has always been on the heart of this church. The very first uh, service we ever had, Joey and I were laughing about this. Um, it was in a hotel, and the first week, we did not have any lights on the, uh, the band while they let us in worship. And we thought this would be a, like a statement that we're going to have no, the lights are, it's going to be totally dark so that you won't be able to look at, uh, at the, at the band and think it's all about them, that you're going to know it's all about God. And it was very awkward, though, because it was just shadows singing and you couldn't see and nobody knew where to look. And it was very awkward. But from the beginning, we knew we never want somebody to come in and think that it's about us having anything together. And so um, as we've kind of refined and, and realized that it's not uh, something like, hey, we're just going to turn off the lights and uh, pretend that you can't see us uh, We've gotten a lot more intentional about this. And this is something that I hope will continue to separate us from other churches that you may have been at. And like I said, there are a lot of great churches, but there are a lot of churches that get this wrong. And it's destructive, not just for themselves, but for people who encounter it. The first thing we've got to do is we have to embrace our weaknesses. You have to embrace your weaknesses. You have to understand that... All of us in here, every single, you can look at somebody else right now and let, just know. In fact, hey, y'all, let's make this awkward. Look around right now. Not one person sitting around here 
has their act together in every area of their life. Now, they may be having a good Sunday, but nobody, it, it has, nobody in this room has it together. All of us have something that we're fighting, that we're struggling with. It reminded me of uh, most uh, of this idea when we pretend church. There's a, there's a line in uh, Civil War, the Marvel movie, where Peter Parker, who's Spider-Man, y'all know this, right? Peter Parker, he, he walks up to Stephen Strange. One of the characters' name is Stephen Strange. His, he's a doctor, so his name is Doctor Strange. And Peter Parker walks up and he introduces himself. He says, I'm Peter Parker. And Doctor Strange says, I'm Doctor Strange. And knowing that that's like his superhero name also, uh, Peter Parker says, oh, we're using our pretend names in that case, I'm Spider-Man. And when he, when he said that, I thought, you know, that's how many of us come into church. We're going to use our pretend names while we're at church. We're going to use our, our superhero names while we're here. And we're not going to have any, any imperfections while we're here. But if we want to be an authentic church, we have to, first of all, be willing to embrace that we have weaknesses. And I don't mean in the church way, because there are, la- there are ways that, that we embrace weaknesses without embracing weaknesses. And the, the biggest uh, trend that has been doing this lately is uh, there's a meme, and it's not just a meme. I've seen it on t-shirts. I sometimes work at, uh, star- out of Starbucks when I'm writing my messages. And I'll see uh, ladies come in, and they'll come in, and there's a t-shirt that says, messy hair, don't care. Okay, now if you have this t-shirt, I'm not talking to you, but maybe I am talking to you. Now, one of the interesting things about this is I went to Instagram and I searched the hashtag messy hair don't care. And I just want to point out something about this everybody that seems to live this life of, and, and kind of the idea behind this is, hey, look at me, my, I have chaos going on in my hair and it just doesn't matter. I'm able to deal with the chaos. Hey, look at me, my life, I know I've got you know, this and that, and, but I can handle it. It's not bothering me. Everything is fine. There's nothing going on here. I've got this messy hair, don't care. Now, in the hashtag, in the first like 10 pictures, I wanted to show you, here's the first one. Okay, does it look for a second like she maybe cares just a little bit about her hair? I'm just going to say, messy hair, don't care. Just maybe a little one. Go to the next one. Does it look like this girl, just a little bit, has put some thought into her hair? Enough thought that she hired a photographer or at least put on some filters, got on uh, outside, and then went frolicking for a little bit. She cares a little bit. That's my only point, is that you can tell us, you can hashtag this, messy hair don't care. You care, okay? Go to the next one. This one. Does it look like she cares a little bit? Go to the, go to the next one. Okay, this guy cares so little, he First of all, he went and got a dirty shovel, and then he, get, and he found a background, and then he puts on this, like, he stands, and then he makes this face of, I just don't even care, you know? But to go through this work, there's one thing I can tell you. If you're going to do that, you care. All right, go to the last one. This girl cares so little that she goes to the beach. She doesn't take the selfie away from the beach. She wants you to know, I've got beautiful water behind me. I've got sand behind me. And oh, my hair is just so, she cares. If you want to see messy hair, don't care, go look at any of my sons over there in the kids area. They don't care, okay? And they're not on Instagram. It doesn't matter where they are. They don't care. They probably haven't showered in a week because they don't care, okay? The rest of us, 
we'll go through this and we'll put on this, hey, if the chaos is fine. It reminds me of uh, the greatest movie ever made. And I want to show you this clip. Uh, um, this is what I think of when somebody tells me messy hair don't care. Go ahead and... This is a clip from uh, The Naked Gun, which is the funniest movie ever made in the history of movies. And I just want to let you know that this is anytime somebody comes and says, you know what, uh, uh, messy hair, don't care, you know, I, it's, I've got this handled. All I can think is that there is a nuclear missile that just hit a fireworks stand in your life, and you're telling me, hey, nothing to see here, I'm fine, I don't care. Let me tell you, if you are a Christian, you never need to be telling people, hey, I got this handled. Don't worry. Hey, messy hair, don't care. Don't, nothing to see here. That's never the way we handle our weaknesses. This is what Paul says. Paul says in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, listen, if you come to my life and you see, you know what, Paul's struggling in a lot of ways. And he went through a lot of difficult times. Read the life of Paul and you'll never walk away thinking, man, he didn't need any help. It's always on the verge of sickness or death. Paul is always struggling. And he says, I want to get to the point where when anyone sees a victory in my life, all they see is the strength of Christ. For when I'm weak, he is strong. The message that we have is, listen, we don't have our lives together. If you see any victory in our life, it's because God has redeemed us. It's because God has brought us blessing. It's because God has saved us. Our weaknesses is our strength. When we're able to tell people, we didn't do this. God did this. We have to embrace a weakness. We have to recognize that the worst thing we can do for someone is tell them, hey, I got this under control. Come listen to me. Instead, we point them to Christ and say, listen, I can't figure it out, but I can walk with you and I can show you who changed my life. Our weaknesses are a strength. We must embrace our weaknesses. The second thing as a church we have to do is if we're going to prioritize this is we have to confess to one another. And this is where I think most churches fail. Most churches may talk about it, but as a Christian, you have to confess your weaknesses to one another. You have to confess your sins to one another. And what I don't mean is coming up on the stage and, and hey, I had a hard week. I'm, I just can't pay the bills and, and putting it out there as if, hey, you know, hey, I need. No, no, no. It's sincere. Getting with somebody and letting them know, hey, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And, and you're only a hypocrite as a Christian if you don't confess. Do you realize this? If you, it's not a, you can be a Christian and not have your life together. You can be a Christian and still stuck in sin. But you are only a hypocrite when you are pretending that you are not stuck in sin. That you are able to overcome this on your own. You're only a hypocrite when you are pretending that your life has got it together. But when you confess, this is what Jesus' brother James said. He said, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I would encourage you, if you are a believer and you are stuck in a sin or you have a, 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 a situation in your life that you don't know how you're going to face, maybe it's an income, maybe it's, it's your job, maybe it's your, your marriage, maybe it's another relationship, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's somebody at school, maybe it's another relationship at work, I don't know. But if you have a struggle 
a weakness or a sin, you need to confess it. You need to go and find somebody in your church, preferably your, your connect group. You know, in, our, in my connect group, we're very good at this. We'll, we, we, we are good about encouraging people, but we're also good about letting, hey, I'm not doing well. I need prayer. And the whole week, we have a text message that'll just go, and we'll be praying for and reminding one another that, hey, make sure you're praying for Joel. Make sure you're praying for Cindy or Erica, whoever it is. Because it's very important that we understand we have to confess to one another if we're going to be healed. But here's the third and final thing. Is that if we're going to ask people to show their weaknesses, and if we're going to ask them to confess their weaknesses, we have to meet weakness with mercy. You have to meet weakness with mercy. In other words, you have to lift a finger. You have to say, this isn't, we've got a lot of personalities in here, and some personalities um, are not as good at this as others, okay? Um, There are some of us in here who have just a natural inclination to say, you know what, you got yourself into this, get yourself out of this. Or you know what, God's word is clear, you didn't do it, hey, you deserve this, okay? Understand, that is, is not, that's what the Pharisees would say. That's what the, the scribes would say, is they would tell you what you're doing wrong, but they wouldn't lift a finger to help you. We have to meet weakness with mercy. I have kind of a, a different um, uh, uh, way that I handle this, is a lot of times I'll ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, Maybe you say it like in a, in a weird way. You'll say, hey, I'm, I'm doing fine. Well, if you tell me you're doing fine, my mind is like, oh, you're doing fine. That's great. And I might not dig in. You might have to come and say, hey, Joel, no, no, no. I need to talk to you. I'm not doing fine. You have to be willing to confess. But understand, if you come and ask me, I'm going to meet you with, with mercy and say, hey, well, let's sit down and let's talk about this. Let me, let me see if there's any wisdom or anything I can do. But at the very least, I know I'm going to pray for you. And I know I'm going to do everything I can to walk with you in this. But understand that every single person who is not in church or not connected to a church, not going to a church, has expectations and has preconceived ideas on what church is like. And one of the biggest hindrances to them walking in is they believe they're going to find people who are pretending. And so as a church, we have to value being authentic, being who we are, strugglers, sinners, but also knowing at the same time we are redeemed and forgiven and we walk with the power of Christ in our heart, not because we're good, but because he's good. And we have to be willing to say our weakness is our strength and we'll confess it. We, we will walk with one another while we're low. And when, we come, when somebody comes in, they have, to be, they have to be confident that when they confess something, that we're not going to judge them. We're not going to paint them uh, as, oh, you're one of those type of people. Instead, we're going to meet their weakness with mercy, knowing that someday they're going to meet Jesus. Someday they're going to fall in love with Jesus, and Jesus can do to them what he has done to us. The final thing, the way that I want to close this today is just to remind us why we do what we do. We are preparing to launch our church in the city of Wiley and in a new community. And, and so if you're new, you know that, that, that is an, this is an invitation for you to, to really get on the inside of our church and, and to be a part of something we believe is going to be very impactful. But if you're a member of this church, if you've been coming a while, I want to also put out the call and let you know we need all hands on deck. We need every single person in here to be in. We need every single, if you call this your church, 
We can't just say, hey, it's my church because I go and pretend on Sundays. It has to be a place where you say, you know what, this is my church because I'm all in to see people who are far from God find life in Christ. And so um, on the wall over here, we're making sure that we are fully prepared to launch. And we have uh, some new needs that have uh, come up since we know we're going to be um, launching our church in a school. And we're no longer going to be able to just come flip on the lights and, hey, all the chairs are there, everything's there. Instead, we're going to have to set up every single week. Instead, we're going to have to, uh, the kids area, everything that we do, uh, we're going to bring into the school and we're going to take out of the school just about. And so that means that uh, if you're a member of this church, we need you to commit to, to serving and to being prepared for when God brings us the single mother who's struggled all week or the family whose marriage is hanging on by a thread or the student who has been made fun of all week and is just looking for a place where he can hear something that, that, that maybe see a glimpse of what God wants for his life. That's where we want to be, but it only can happen when we are pre- fully prepared. And so um, over there we have... Uh, all of the different teams that we need, and specifically on the on Sunday teams over here in blue. Uh, we've also, you'll notice there, we have youth ministry, we have things that are going to not be on Sunday. We want you to sign up for those as well. But the on Sunday, we, Sunday is going to become a big deal in this church because that's going to be our only physical presence. People aren't going to be able to walk and see, the, see a sign or um, drive by and see our sign anymore. Um, they'll only see it on weekends. And so they, when we need to be ready when God brings us people. And so I just want to point out also that uh, over there, um, the kids' ministry, there are plenty of places to sign up on the kids' ministry. And some of you... Uh, are like, there's no way I'm signing up for the kids' ministry. And uh, so I just want to say this, okay? My wife uh, has a very famous saying in my small group, okay? Because she was once asked, asked um, hey, why do you serve in the kids' area? Because um, you must love kids. And she, uh, to summarize what she said, she says, I don't love kids. I love Jesus. And I just want to remind us that when we sign up, the qualification is not that you are passionate about, uh, man, I just love being around four-year-olds, okay? Because that person doesn't actually exist. At least I haven't met them, okay? But there's a lot of people who love Jesus. And rem- remember, there are a lot of kids. I remember being the church I was at when I was four years old. I remember it. I don't remember a word they said to me, but I remember that they liked me and that they were nice and that I liked going to that church, that I liked coming back. And, and so I just want to encourage you to, to pray about, and not just pray about, don't stop at prayer. I want you to sign up uh, and, and make sure that our kids' ministry is ready, that our setup team is ready, and that as, as we prepare over the next few weeks, that um, we're really going to begin to come together as a church and not just do church. We're going to get together and starting next week and the next week, when you come in, it's going to begin to feel different. Um, it's gonna, we're going to begin to talk about this is what it's going to look like when we arrive. I want to show you some pictures, just if you haven't seen them. Uh, this is the doors that people are going to walk into at Cooper. They're going to be single parents walking in. They're going to be families that are struggling. There are a lot of people, and we need greeters that are going to be ready for them. As you go through, you're going to go into the worship area and pass this, and I just want to remind you that the people coming into our our church are hurting, and they're going to hear um, stories of life change, and they're going to see in every greeter and every teacher somebody whose life has been impacted by Christ, and they're going to find hope, not just in hopefully good messages and good music. They're going to find hope in every single one of us who is loving their children, who is loving them in an authentic way. So I'm going to go ahead and close us uh, today. 
Um, if you're new here, remember you can go to the, um, we have a gift for you at the Dot Life station, which is at the station in the back. Uh, there will be somebody um, there for, uh, to give that gift to you. Um, if you are a member of this church or if you call this church home or if you would like to be a part of our launch team, uh, we want to encourage you to sign up. There are, are um, Sharpies somewhere over here, and uh, you can just sign up on the wall. Uh, we're leaving, so we don't care about the wall. So uh, no, I'm just kidding. They're going to paint them, so we're not. We're good. We're good hosts. But uh, we want you to um, to sign up before you leave, and remember that that God is really about to do something powerful. So let me pray, and then we'll dismiss. Lord, I thank you so much for this church, and I thank you for every single person who not just comes to church, but that is the church. Lord, as we live our lives today, I pray that we walk out of here with less burdens than we walked in with, Lord, knowing that we are forgiven because you have forgiven us, that we are not guilty before you when we trust you because you made a way through Jesus on the cross. So, Lord, as we walk out of here, we walk out of here knowing that we may still struggle and and have sins and have weaknesses, but that we are made strong in you. And so, Lord, we pray that not only is our life different when we walk out, but we pray that as we sign up and as we prepare for the next season of this church, Lord, we pray that there are many that are far from you now that will be brought near to you because of the way we chose to follow you with an authentic faith. Lord, we pray that you will bless our lives this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.